Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. And this is one of those mornings where two calendars collide. Uh, in the church, on the liturgical calendar, it is the fourth Sunday of Easter. And we gather first and foremost to worship and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're also aware that there are other calendars at work in the world. And there is the Hallmark calendar, and today is Mother's Day on that. Um, and we're going to do a little dancing between these two calendars as we look at John chapter 10. And I must say, I'm a little hesitant. Um, I, I've got a pretty bad track record with Mother's Day sermons. Uh, the first time I gave a Mother's Day sermon was so far the only time I've been cussed out uh, during the coffee hour. Um, you see, I had sometimes you have good ideas in your head that don't play out well in a, uh, a group setting. And so I was in North Texas, big uh, church, and my idea was to talk about Mother's Day, but maybe deconstruct the hallmarkness a little bit of the, of the day, of the season. Um, and I just want to have a more honest conversation. And so I have a long uh, history in doing youth ministry, so I was like, I know, I'm going to take a visual prop. <laughs> You've never seen me with a visual prop. You're about to learn why. <laughs> I went to the local Tom Thumb. Those are the grocery stores in Texas. And I went through the Mother's Day you know, card aisle, and I picked the most saccharine, sweet, hallmarky card uh, you've ever seen. And I brought it uh, into the pulpit, and as I introduced the sermon, I, I read this card, and then I took it, and I tore it in half. And they gasped. <laughs> and I said, let's have a real uh, conversation. I, I wanted to have a conversation about motherhood and family um, about this holy and difficult calling that some of us have, um, and to have that in the context of, of the gospel, in the midst of the church, uh, with honesty instead of with hallmark. Um, there's only one problem. I, I did not know at the time, I, I learned, um, that the retired creative director of Hallmark uh, was a member of our parish. <laughs> He had viewed it as his life's vocation uh, to help people, he thought especially men, uh, who had trouble articulating their feelings, to help put that into print so they could give appropriate gifts. And he, he tore into me <laughs> in the, the, the parish hall during the coffee hour. Um, and and I, I, it just reminded me that we come uh, with different stories on a day like today. Uh, some are joyful. It's a day of celebration. Uh, some, uh, it's a hard day. And some are indifferent. It's just not relevant to where uh, they are in their life right now. Um, I will say later we will give thanks and pray for families, especially uh, mothers. Um, I hope you'll honor the mothers in your life and that if you are living out this calling, you will feel uh, honored today. Um, I would say also if this is a hard day for you, this can be a hard day for many in the church. I know folks who don't come to church on Mother's Day because of how difficult it is for them. Um, I hope you'll be encouraged 
And I hope especially as we kind of put this in the broader context of Easter and following Jesus, our good shepherd, that there's something here for each one of us uh, to hold on to. And we're going to come at this a little sideways, uh, this calendar collision. I do want to talk about just a little bit of the theology of family. Uh, how, do we, how do we think about family? Um, luckily, uh, Father Bill is downstairs in St. Thomas Kids because Father Bill is about to walk across the stage and get his PhD in child and family development. Um, I'm not going to be at his level, but I want to just kind of lay a baseline. How do we think about family? And how do we think about the church as a family of families? And then more importantly, turn to John 10 and see what we learn about Jesus, our good shepherd. And what that might have to say as we think about family, and especially as we think about uh, Mother's Day or even about parenting um, in general, whether you're directly parenting your kids or you're fulfilling one of the roles of grandparent, mentor. There's so many ways that we parent and love and serve uh, one another. We can look to Jesus, the good shepherd, uh, for guidance in that. So first, uh, just a quick theology of family. Um, I would say that uh, and again, I don't know, most families, you could kind of start with families are a mess. That'd be a starting place. But um, maybe first we would start with our theology of God. As we think about a theology of family, um, I think one of the, I mean, just incredible lines of theology uh, written in the 20th century was by Pope John Paul II. He says, God has revealed his innermost secret. Uh, you've heard this if you've been to St. Thomas before, probably. God has revealed his innermost secret. God himself is an eternal exchange of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he has destined us to share in that exchange. Um, however we think about ourselves, however we think about our families, our church, even our communities, all of these, the starting point um, is how God has revealed himself as Trinity. Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that eternal exchange of love um, that exists and that we're invited into. Um, when I was coming up in a very different tradition, uh, the most important thing you could do was have a personal relationship with God. Um, and that's very important. And I think as I've grown, I've come to see it's not just that we have a personal relationship with God, but that God personally invites us into the relationship of the eternal exchange of love between the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's not like God's an accessory for us. No, we're caught up and invited into this incredible, um, huge, glorious thing. That's right. The love that exists between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We're adopted into that. We don't earn it. It comes by faith through the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, based on the finished work of Jesus. And so as we think about our individual families, there, there's another pope. This is like a pope-heavy day. Sorry about that. Um, who would have thought on Mother's Day? Lots of popes. Here we go. Um, he says, within the family, which could be called a domestic church, individuals enter upon an ecclesial experience of communion amongst persons, which reflects through grace the mystery of the Holy Trinity. And this is the line. It says, the church is a family of families. Um, and that doesn't mean that everyone's coming two by two married or two by two with a couple kids. Not in, a, in an, an American family sense. No, um, all of our households, all of our stories, we're a family of families that comes together to follow uh, the Lord together, a spiritual family on a mission together. And again, that flows from our doctrine of the Trinity. Um, 
And, and you'll see in just a little bit, actually our, our last line in our gospel reading is kind of what brought that up, this link between how do we think about the Trinity and the Good Shepherd? Because Jesus says in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. There's a unity, there's a link between the Father and the Son that we flesh out later is this idea that God has revealed his innermost secret. He is an eternal exchange of love, Father, Son, and Spirit, and has destined us to share in that exchange. Um, now, Pope John Paul II, he kind of brought this teaching through a series of weekly sermons. And they've compiled it in a book. It's called The Theology of the Body. Um, if you've read it, God bless you. I've tried. And I'm like pretty nerdy. And it's just, it's huge. And it's intricate. And it's detailed. And it's beautiful, but it's like something beautiful that's just, it's out there. Um, and so what the scriptures do, instead of giving us a 900-page theology of the body, um, as God so likes to do, um, he gives us an image to hold on to to understand this. It's woven throughout the entire Bible, uh, culminating in many ways here in John 10. But this idea that God is our shepherd. God is our shepherd. Um, a shepherd who uh, loves and provides for sheep. A shepherd who cares for and guides and protects and leads. This idea of God as our shepherd. Um, you see this in, in the Old Testament. Um, in the Psalms, Psalm 95 and Psalm 100 are all about God being our shepherd. Um, in the Anglican daily office, kind of our, how we do devotions during the week, we pray one of these every morning. Uh, not to be repetitive or not because we don't like the other Psalms, but I think to get this idea lodged deep within, within us. So it's almost second nature. Um, Psalm 95 says, For he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This idea that deep down at our, at our core being, if you said, who are you? How do you relate to God? Well, he's our God. We're the people of his pasture. We're the sheep of his hand. We're safe being led by and following our great and good shepherd. Psalm 100 puts it this way, Be assured that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. Um, we, haven't, we don't have to make up ourselves. God has made us. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This is foundational to our identity and foundational to our identity as God's people in the church. Um, you could almost say instead of the church being a family of families, we're a flock of flocks led by the great shepherd, uh, the good shepherd. And then you, you see that image runs all through the Old Testament. At one point, the prophets, they'll actually critique um, the political and religious leaders for being bad shepherds. You're not loving well. You're not providing well. You're not guiding. You're not leading. You're in it for yourselves. And the prophets say that one day God himself will come and he'll be the shepherd. Um, and he'll be the one to lead his people. And then we come to John 10. Um, here, uh, Jesus, the good shepherd. And I just, to me, uh, the basic idea of a shepherd who's loving and caring for and providing and leading and guiding and protecting, um, these are in, in some ways parenting at its best. Uh, mothering and, and father, it's, it's that at its best. You're, you're trying to actually live out this calling um, to shepherd uh, your kids. Those who have been entrusted 
um, into your care, but we don't raise kids just to be part of our flock or our family. We raise them knowing ultimately God is their shepherd. Uh, They're part of his flock, and we can trust that he is caring for them. Um, It's also a reminder that if if you are called to to parent in any way, uh, well, God is still our shepherd to care for us in the mess of trying to, to fulfill that holy calling. Um, there to help us through the ins and outs, the highs and lows, loving us unconditionally, freeing us from the tyranny of perfect parenting, um, the tyranny of saccharine Hallmark cards that, I don't know, I read that card, I was like, I'd be embarrassed to give this or receive it because it should be in the fiction section. <laughs> like, it's just like, why, why do we do that to ourselves? I don't know. How, let's honor, but honor uh, truthfully and honestly. Celebrate one another in that. Um, and especially to honor our good and perfect shepherd together. So let's, let's look at this passage in John 10. Um, the first few verses give us a little bit of a setup. It's a time stamp. It says, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They want to know if he's the one they've been waiting on, uh, waiting for. And it actually tells us it's a very specific time. It's the time of the Feast of Dedication. Um, I don't know if that means anything to you. Um, For a long time, I was like, I don't really know what's going on with the Feast of Dedication. And then I figured out that to really understand it, you don't even go to the Old Testament. You go to these books called the Apocrypha. Maybe that's why we're talking about popes today. I don't know. But you go to 1st and 2nd Maccabees. This literature in between the Old and the New Testament, this history, and you learn about this story for God's people. You learn about this time when Israel uh, had been conquered by the Greeks. Um, They they were oppressed. Um, There was blasphemy going on. There was a leader called Antiochus Epiphanes, who was one of the most antichrist figures in the entire Bible. And he goes into the temple and he slaughters pigs and throws the blood on the altar to mock God's people, to mock the scriptures, to mock God's ways. And eventually a spirit rose up of zeal. God's people had had enough. Uh, There was a guy named Phineas. He grabbed a spear and he threw it through somebody. He raised up a guy named Judas Maccabeus. He's often known as the hammer. And he led a guerrilla-style revolution against the Greeks, and he hammered them. And before you knew it, God's people had reclaimed their land. They had reclaimed their ways. They had thrown off the yoke of foreign oppression. And this has shaped the imagination of God's people ever since. It's actually what we uh, still celebrate. It's Hanukkah, essentially the cleansing Um, They went into the temple where the pig's blood had gone and they took palm branches and they cleaned it out. I actually think on Palm Sunday when they had those branches and all those folks were really excited and said, good, it's about to happen again. We're going to drive the Romans out just like we drove the Greeks out. So then when they come to Jesus, they're like, hey, are you another hammer? Are you the one who's going to come and finally deliver us us again? Because God did it once with the Greeks Um, We're waiting for him to do it with the Romans. That's what they expect. That's what they are looking for. 
And instead, Jesus comes and says, no, I'm not a hammer. I'm the shepherd. The shepherd. Well, I don't know about you. If you're looking for a hammer and you hear there's a shepherd, don't you just see like lambs and Birkenstocks? (laughs) That's not what we're waiting on. Or maybe if you are a shepherd, would you go get rid of some wolves for us? No, I'm the good shepherd. They're so eager that he would come as a hammer and dispose of their enemies. And instead, he comes earlier in John 10, says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's not what they're looking for. That's not what they want. They don't want someone coming meek and mild with Birkenstocks to lay their life down. They're, they're looking for a hammer. And Jesus keeps teaching. He's telling them, uh, I told you and you don't believe. I've told you what kind of Messiah I would be. The shepherd, the good shepherd. The words that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Uh, but you don't believe. You're just not part of my flock. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. There's an intimacy and a responsiveness between the shepherd and his flock as he leads them and guides them. Uh, Verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. They're looking for a hammer And he's got a firm grip as a shepherd. Uh, Not coming to to deal death, but to actually take his people through death. Lead them as a shepherd through that into uh, something greater, um, eternal life and the life of the world to come. It's interesting. uh, This message is not well received. I don't, where's our verse? We stop at verse 30, right? Let me just read you verse 31. See what you think of this response. He's just told them he's a shepherd. He said, you're not part of my flock. Verse 31, so they picked up stones again to stone him. Well, if you won't fight for us, will you defend yourself? That's what they're wondering here in this passage. It's a lot going on. Um, I'm always mindful of how Jesus, the good shepherd, um, is trustworthy and safe, and loves us, and guides us, and provides for us. But here, not just in this life, but actually really does guide us into eternity. He makes a big deal here. Like, your eternal future is secure if you follow the shepherd, because no one can snatch you out of my hand. Um, And I don't want to, you know, uh, give you a false impression here. Um, That doesn't mean everything will go well. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father. He was right in the middle of the Father's will, and it landed him on a cross, right in the middle of two thieves. Um, The idea is not that the shepherd will preserve you from harm and difficulty in this life, but that ultimately the shepherd will lead you uh, through um, death, through to uh, eternal life. He says that that's rooted. The reason he can do that is the unity he has with the Father. It's interesting how our faith and our trust um, actually is linked to good theology in many cases like this. Having a proper understanding of God as Holy Trinity. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright, 
says Christian confidence about our future beyond death, which above all in the Easter season we can hold on to. It says it's not a matter of wishful thinking, a vague general hope, or a temperamental inclination to assume things will turn out all right. No, it's built firmly on nothing less than the union of the Son with the Father. That's the link. One of the main themes of this whole Gospel of John. It's it's interesting to observe that where the church uh, and where in the church folks have been unclear on basic doctrine of the Trinity, man, all of their other views have just scattered as well, including uh, confidence in the life of the world to come, the hope we have um, as Christians. If we follow, if we belong to the Good Shepherd, we're given the gift of peace. And that hand where nothing can be snatched, well, we're gripped by his love, a love that will never uh, let us go. Um, and I, I find that comforting, especially on a day like Mother's Day or uh, Father's Day coming up in just a little bit, because um, parenting is crazy and hard. Um, and it's not done perfectly, um, but it's done as under shepherds of the Good Shepherd. Um, Trusting ultimately in him. Trusting in his peace that passes understanding. Trusting in his leadership. Um, ultimately entrusting our kids who we love in ways we couldn't imagine to his good care. Um, I think that's one of the hardest things to do for parents. Um, to trust that God knows what's best for your kids. And loves them more than we do. And knows how that should play out in all kinds of ways. Um, man, can we entrust our kids to the safe, secure grip of the Good Shepherd? And this isn't just if you're a parent. I mean, we have all these kids in our church. Um, we do baptisms, and we say we're going to support them in their life and growth of faith. We want to care for them. We want to love them. We, we want to protect them in certain ways, but ultimately, we want to help them know the voice of the Good Shepherd, to follow him to entrust them uh, to him. Um, again, it's a little bit of a Mother's Day sermon, a little bit of an Easter sermon, uh, which is for the best. Clement of Alexandria once wrote, In our sickness, we need a Savior. In our wanderings, a guide, a shepherd. In our blindness, someone to show us the light. In our thirst, the fountain of living water that quenches forever the thirst of those who drink from it. We dead people need life. We sheep need a shepherd. We children need a teacher. The whole world needs Jesus. I get it. It's a little odd to reflect on these together. Good Shepherd and Mother's Day. Um, traditionally in the Anglican communion, uh, we'll do most of our mother reflections right after the Annunciation on Mothering Sunday. Um, but that doesn't work out on our normal kind of North American calendars. Uh, but, I mean... I don't know. I would say following the advice of Jesus the Good Shepherd is a pretty good start to figuring out this parenting thing. Uh, what better person to listen to? I mean, we don't need to spend Mother's Day focused on perfect cards or gifts for perfect mothers, trying to live up to unrealistic ideals of motherhood. We need to look to Jesus. Invite him to journey with us as we parent our children, or maybe even as we think about how we were parented. Um, and we look at that. We need to give thanks to God for the mothers in our lives and the opportunity to steward uh, the children that come into our lives. 
whether that's in a, the context of family or whether that's through adoption or affinity or mentoring, there's all kinds of ways that parenting takes place. And I think some of those ways often get left out in things like Mother's Day and Father's Day, but it's there. And it has an incredible impact. And here's the thing. If you want to do that work well, um, the best thing you can do is rest in the love of our Good Shepherd. Um, rest in that. Trust in that. Um, and then freely love uh, these kids in our midst. Um, imperfectly loving them, of course, but always pointing them to God. Uh, helping them to feel safe and loved at home. Making sure that they're part of this broader family of families in the church. And realizing the broader reality of all this flows out of the Good Shepherd's great love and care for us. They wanted Jesus to fight the Greeks and the Romans. They had seen what had happened before. And instead, Jesus, the good shepherd, comes, and he, he doesn't fight that battle. And it's not because he's cowardly. He's courageous beyond all things. It's because he came to fight the real enemies. Sin, death, the devil. He comes to fight those. And the way he wins his victory over them is by giving his life uh, for us, his sheep, that we might dwell with him forever. Let's pray together. Loving God, you have given us the right to be called your children. Help us to show your love in our homes, that they may be places of love, security, and truth. Jesus, your son, was born into a family, the family of Mary and Joseph. Bless all parents and all who care for children. Strengthen those families living under stress. And may your love be known especially where no human love is found. We thank you for the family of the church. We pray that all may find in her their true home, that those who are lonely and marginalized and rejected may be welcomed and loved in the name of Jesus. We see the brokenness of our world, and we pray for healing, healing among the nations, for food where there is hunger, for freedom where there is oppression, for joy where there is pain, that your love may bring peace to all of your children. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.